Inside Westminster, Chapter 256, Self-Inflicted Wounds. Things couldn't have got much worse for the PM that bright and sunny late winter afternoon. He'd just faced the worst PMQs in Parliament's collective memory and he'd had to resort to using more metaphorical chaff than ever, a.k.a. purposeful gaffes dropped liberally, designed to confuse the enemy, which now comprised everyone in his life, even his darling wife, but more of that later. In his desperation to deflect the flak being shot at him from all directions, he had had to resort to smearing the leader of the opposition, Sir Kieran Hardy, with the excrement, excrement of the infamous and failed Jimmy Savile's inquiry. What has that to do with Partygate, queried one of the junior advisers paid to try and guide our dear leader, and who had persistently warned against slandering Sir Kieran, even in the House of Commons, but to no avail, as she was shot down by another spad. Both were not destined for long in the cauldron of bubbling faeces now masquerading as the UK's powerhouse of political leadership. Potty's senior political adviser had been involved, trying to make her boss, for whom she'd worked for more for over a decade. See sense, but, in his desperation, Potty had resorted to the basest tacti- tactic of all, dead cat diversion. I'm getting Sir Hilary Nash back, Potty had crowed to Willoughby Knight Johnston, his one and only loyal friend, late the previous evening. So all this load of piss-taking disloyal asses working in Number 10 and the Cabinet offices can take a hike. But didn't you have a hand in their selection? Quizzed KJ, adding, and won't there be a bit of a to-do if you sack them? Yes, well, yes, no, uh, stumbled Potty, who'd been on the bottle. The new baby's one, for the previous several nights on the trot, and who was, quite frankly, beyond knackered. Hills were sorted out, yawned Potty, as ever, just winging it all by the seat of his pants and hoping against hope that Sir Hilary would accept the offer of his old job back. By the way, said KJ, what is Sir Hilary doing at the moment and are you sure he'll come back? Don't know and don't know, rattled the PM, but fingers crossed and all that. Even KJ, KJ, who'd known Potty since prep school, was taken aback wondering how running the country had come to this. The leader flying by the seat of his pants on a wing and a prayer, crossing fingers and hoping not to die. Wasn't that one of the silly songs they'd chant as five-year-olds after a perilous nighttime raid on their boarding house's tuck shop, KJ mulled, and then, turning to his eldest son, who was at the wheel of the family's Bentley, giving it a go on the private roads of their estate, said, "'Promise me you'll never turn out like that scoundrel Ptolemy Trudge Jones.' Words of wisdom certainly passed on from father to son, but what a sad indictment of our Prime Minister. Another father was not faring too well on yet another round of public duty, pressing the flesh. Cheeks rudded through gardening, one hoped, and not resorting to large draughts of homemade cider, finely tuned, light-hearted banter, honed after sixty years of practice, and a swift stride to outpace those foxy journalists were now keynotes to Prince Edmund's life. That and a perpetual headache caused by Marcus and Rupert and wondering what they'd do next. "'Is it wise, sir, for your brother to demand trial by jury?' shouted one persistent journalist from behind the barricades now routinely erected to keep them at a respectful distance from his royal person. 
Prince Edmund hadn't wanted to resort to this measure, but his hand had been forced as respect for what had deferentially been called the establishment had hit an all-time low, with the daily onslaught of disastrous headlines which were alienating anyone and everyone. The prince had noticed that the bow from his male courtiers was now a cursory nod of the head, as though they were flicking away a nuisance Scottish midge, and the curtsy from the females was now clearly unpracticed to the point where he'd become concerned that someone was going to extend the wrong leg and fall over. Even He'd even mentioned it to his wife Annabel, who just gave a throaty laugh, saying, well, that would give us all a much-needed moment of jollity. Even she doesn't get it, moaned Edmund to his pack of eager dogs as he walked them that afternoon. My whole life I've been yearning straining every sinew to be the monarch of this great nation, and now I don't think anyone would take on the role were it put out to tender. That morning Mandy awoke, refreshed for once, since the long haul through Celestine's arrival and the baby's subsequent bout of Covid. She put the slug, her new name for the person she woke up, next to each morning, for how much longer she wasn't sure, Anyway, he'd been put on night duty for the week, allowing her eight straight hours of sleep for the past several nights. Bliss, she smiled to herself in the mirror, pleased for once with the smile back, engaging, not haggard. Eyebags diminishing, though not gone completely. Check, she said to herself, must get Minion, that is Slug's PA, to book facial, including new mumsy eyebag decompression therapy. I wonder if one of Slug's backers would pay... At the top of her to-do list was contacting those chosen people to invite them to be new babe's godparents. She tried to discuss this topic with the slug last night, but he, quite frankly, hadn't been interested as he was writing yet another boring, hugely important, so he said, speech for the Ukrainian president people. Yawn, she'd actually said, thrusting forward with, I've got something more important to talk to you about, Celestine's godparents. Potty had yawned too, though he, he, his was genuine, and it occurred to Mandy just how old and, quite frankly, knackered the slug was looking. It's the one opportunity we, as parents, have got to gild Celestine's future with guaranteed guidance, help and, frankly, dosh, which we quite clearly haven't got enough of, Mandy said, voice crescendoing towards the end. Potty just stared at her, bemused, and started to say, In my day... He was interrupted, Mandy biting off the end of his musing. To be honest, she said, I couldn't give a shit what happened in your day. I'm not interested in your beginning to sound like a broken record. Mandy hadn't dared tell Potty that she'd been forced to have words with her husband's long-standing and ever-loyal political adviser, Samina Nadir. Far too pretty and clever had been Mandy's assessment of this gifted woman, and one who should be removed at the earliest opportunity, as she'd had far too much influence over the slug for far too long. And Potty hadn't had the energy to keep his young wife up to speed with the shenanigans playing out downstairs. So when Mandy caught a glimpse of Nadia exiting through the black door of Downing Street, clutching the ever-familiar cardboard box of shame, she couldn't help but let out a primeval yelp of satisfaction. Potty, having just received news that a 12th Tory MP had publicly let it be known that they'd submitted a letter of no confidence to the 1922 committee and that a fifth member of his inner sanctum had resigned, was in no mood to rise to the bait, but for the nth time he wondered how long he could put up with this woman who seemed to be presiding over his downfall. 
They're only civil servants, so totally dispensable, Potty had rashly boasted to the posse of eager young journos in the latest press briefing. I've been meaning to have a good clear-out, you know, a purge of the dross. No one in the room could quite believe their ears. Had the PM really said that? To what end would you dump on these hand-picked, highly qualified and experienced players? And where would this all end? Ben Morgan knew he'd been planning this all along who knew that all he had to do was bail out enough rope and the silly pair would hang themselves. Not long to go, he shouted to his long-suffering wife Gwendolyn. Till what, she retorted, till that fuckwit Ptolemy Trudge Jones's history. And what Mandy hadn't realised either was that seismic earthquakes were about to rock her world as Sir Hilary Nash was to accept the job of sorting out the shitstorm and chaos inside Westminster on one condition and she was going to be given an ultimatum. Piss off to checkers, taking your squawking brats and feverish diva demands with you and let your poor husband face this crisis unshackled by you.